I am very humbled and honored to be your association mission strategist. I appreciate the opportunity that God has given me to be before you this morning. I also appreciate a couple of your members uh, who serve in our association, Brad Kaufman and Blake Williams. We appreciate them very, very, very much, what they do in service for our Lord Jesus Christ. I've left some brochures out there on the table, opportunities to help you get an overview of what you, among 51 other churches, you 52, do in our service, our Lord Jesus Christ, how God's moving among our association. You can follow us on Facebook to kind of get a better idea of what God's doing in, in ministries throughout our association as well as tap into our website. That kind of gives you just an overview of that as well. Yes, uh, as the brother said, we are in transition of changing our name. Uh, so please, we pray that you would encourage us with your prayers and ask God to continue to guide us uh, as we continue that transition. And know also, beloved, I'm praying for you all, praying for your staff, praying as you all seek God's next pastor for your church. And I, I mean that very much. But I also want to take a moment and just ask you to remember your ministerial staff and your support staff. Yes, it's Clergy Appreciation Month, but don't just make October, you know, October ends and go, okay, that's it. I'm not going to show any appreciation. No, don't do that. As God ever lays that individual or that staff completely upon your heart and mind, let them know that you appreciate it. Let them know that you're glad that they're doing what they're doing because this pandemic has been doing a number on pastors, ministers, and, and support staff in the last 15 to 18 months. I, to be transparent with you, a bulk of my weekly schedule, six to eight hours a week, uh, is just basically ministering, praying with pastors and staff because they're just stressed out. I mean, stressed out. In fact, in the past eight or nine months, I, and I've been doing this quite a number of years, I had dark hair at one time. And I, thank you. And, but it has been, it's been unusual. I mean, the stress, the strain. So anytime and every time you get an opportunity to, to send them a text, email, take them out for a meal. Don't talk about church. Just say, how are you doing? How, how can I pray for you? How's your family doing? Lift them up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sincerely asking you to do that because it's been a trying time. I also want to ask you this this morning. Are you ready for this question? Why are you here? Why have you come this morning? What brought you here? And most importantly, what do you hope happens as a result of you being here? When you leave this morning, what is your goal? You, you came in here for whatever reason, but as you continue to worship God in spirit and truth, and you heard some marvelous praise songs to, to prepare your heart for worship, as you leave today, what is it you hope uh, happens to you? Happens maybe between God and you, maybe with your family, maybe with others around you. What is your goal? That's what we're going to talk about this morning in light of Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. So in order to do that, let's prepare our hearts and talk with God. Join your head and your heart with me, please. Pray for those around you. Pray for your staff. Let's talk with the Father. Almighty God, we thank you very much for being our God. We thank you that you've allowed us to come here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth, to praise you, and to pause out of our schedule and simply let you be God, to be still and know you, 
to draw closer to you, to sing praises to you, and to give you thanksgiving from our hearts. But as we move from the praise and thanksgiving, God, we also want to take a moment and hear your voice. Hear what you have to say to us through your word and through the still small voice of of prayer. What is it you want to do with and through us? What do you hope, Father, happens as a result of us being here this morning so that we can please you with all our all? And hear, Father, the hearts of these worshipers who've gathered this morning to praise you, to draw near to you. But they're casting their burdens upon you, God. There are those who have heavy hearts, those who are considering decisions, not knowing what to do. So, Father, in all their ways, as they commit this to you, direct their paths. And be with this beloved church as she continues to be your beacon of hope and light and love to the community. And be with the team as they follow your guidance in finding your shepherd for their future. You be the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to camp out for just a moment. But I want to tell you a little story that happened not long ago. And uh, it has to do with a race. I don't know if you have any runners in here or not. But the, there was an, the ultra marathon happens in Australia. Now, the ultra marathon that happens in Australia is a race that's 543 miles long. 543 miles. I would do well to run maybe five steps. But 543 miles and in 1983, they had 150 contestants to show up for this race. And on the day of the race, there was a 61-year-old potato farmer by the name of Cliff Young, as you see here. And this is what he wore. He had on overalls, galoshes over his work boots. And when he first approached, they thought, well, he's just a spectator. He's come to see everybody else run. But no, he approached the registration table, and he said, I want to run. I want to enter this race. And there were some people that thought it was a joke. But they, the staff gave him his little number here, 64, and they, he, he put that on. He lines up with all the other runners, and they've got on their state-of-the-art tennis shoes, their running gear, their physique bodies. And then there's 61-year-old potato farmer, sheep herder, toothless Cliff Young, 61. And when they start out and they, to run... All the runners, of course, are leaving Cliff behind in the Snickers turn to laughter. And, and some even say, somebody stop him before he kills himself. And then they really started laughing when they noticed how he ran. It, it was kind of like a leisurely shuffle. This was a 543-plus mile race. And Cliff, in his overalls and galoshes, is out there running. Now, they couldn't understand why he was doing that. I mean, all of Australia was riveted to the television set. And they were watching this, young, this man here run this race with all these other runners. I mean, everybody knew that it takes 18 hours a day to run and then you sleep for six hours. But nobody told Cliff. It seems that nobody told Cliff that you're supposed to run 18 hours and then sleep six. Because when Cliff crossed the finish line and he won... The closest runner behind him was nine hours behind. He broke a record. He never never slept. He ran consistently in that leisurely, as they would later call it, the young shuffle, for five days, 15 hours, and four minutes. 
He set a record. Amazing. How did Cliff do this? Cliff achieved what he did because he had a goal and he stayed focused. He was able to do it. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't like some people did. He, he didn't have horses or, or four-wheel drives to round up his sheep whenever they strayed on this 2,000-acre farm. No, he got out and ran. Sometimes he would run for days and nights to gather up his sheep to get them in safety. Here he had a goal. He made up his mind, and it didn't matter what anybody else thought of him. didn't matter what anybody thought the way he dressed or anything else. He had a goal. He, he set his mind. He made his mind up that that's what he was going to do. His attitude and behavior played a big role in him winning this race. Our attitude, beloved, is going to play a big role in the kind of Christian that God wants us to be. Make no mistake about it, because the Christian life, it's not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. Yes, with 100-yard dashes, speed matter. But with marathon, endurances matter. So with that in mind, look at Philippians chapter 3. You and I, with God's help, we're going to be looking at this passage here to kind of get an idea of what God wants to do with and through us. In Philippians 3, 13 and 14, and share your device, your Bible with a friend next to you. I'm going to look at it from a, a transliteration by Kenneth Weiss, who's a Greek scholar, and kind of read it. So it, it's going to sound different, and I'm, I'm doing that because I want you to hear something different. Maybe God will use a word, a phrase out of this that I'm about to read to stir your heart, to help you to understand, yes, that he loves you and that he has a goal and a purpose for your life. Here's what we read, and you can follow along in your translation. Brethren, as for myself, as I look back upon my life and calmly draw a conclusion, I am not counting myself yet as one who has in absolute and complete way laid hold of that for which I've been laid hold of by Christ Jesus, but one thing, I, in fact, am forgetting completely the things that are behind am stretching forward to the things that are in front, bearing down upon the goal. I'm pursuing on for the prize of the call from above of God, which is in Christ Jesus, end quote. Looking at those two verses and knowing of the Apostle Paul from maybe your Bible study times, what is, it that, what is Paul wanting to do here? What, what is Paul's ultimate goal? Well, we get an idea. He, he wants to grow. As a, he's not Paul, the Apostle Paul, who dedicated, surrendered his life, changed his life around to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, is telling us, telling the Philippians, I don't think I've arrived yet. I'm pressing on. Can you and I identify with Paul? Are we pressing on to become the Christian that God in Christ wants us to be? Or are we becoming complacent, apathetic? I have been concerned the last 15, 18 months about the body of Christ. Because what I see in some parts, some circles, if you please, is an apathy, a complacency. And child of God, let me encourage you, sincerely, your church needs you. Your church needs you at this time, in this season, without a pastor. Make no mistake about it. In fact, let me encourage you, and I know this is, the last thing was a fall retreat, and some people are having a nice vacation on the beach. I got a, a picture earlier of Neil Atcher on, on the beach, and I'm thinking, well, we could take a mission trip down there, Neil, and have a good time with you, buddy. 
But I know that the crowd may be somewhat down because of that and entailing the vacations. But beloved, from this point on, this church needs you. It needs everybody, all hands on deck. All hand, get on the phone, get on the text, and, and call and invite and say, we miss you, we're praying for you, we need your participation. Don't let the attitude of complacency and apathy dominate you, or don't blame it on the pandemic. I mean, I have some people that will, used to say to me when I was served as a pastor, you go up and ask them, well, would, you, would you pray about serving? And they would say, well, I've done my time. I'm sorry I didn't know it was that hard on you. Or I've already served. Or sometimes they would get complacent and say, well, get somebody else. Well, it's not like that. God calls people to serve. And God is calling you all, all hands on deck, especially during this season, without a senior pastor. Your church needs your participation. Your church needs your active participation. Your staff needs to see and be affirmed that you're with them during this time. Now, think about this. When the search team is interviewing a pastoral candidate, and the candidate's going to ask a series of questions, and one of the questions may be, how is the church holding up without a pastor? How's the health of the church? How's your attendance been? You don't want the search team to look that person in the eye after they prayed and they're really wanting this person to be considered. You don't want them to say, well, there's an attitude of complacency. Maybe they're blaming it on a pandemic. Maybe they're blaming it on because we don't have a pastor. No, what you want is for that search team to look this guy in the eyes and say the church has been doing fantastic. We are overwhelmed at the response of the church members in light of no pastor being on, on field there. The membership is pressing on. They're, they're fulfilling the upward call of Christ as God would have them. Child of God, how do we achieve that? How do we, how do we become the Christian that God wants us to be? How do we be like Paul? Paul gives us a brief formula here, a brief formula, three-step formula. And it's very simple. You and I, to be the Christian that God wants us to be, not looking around and saying, well, I wish I was like that person or that person. We'll get into that in just a second. No, it's being the Christian that God wants us to be. We've got to focus our aim on the goal that God has for us. We've got to forget the past and then drop the T off the word forget, and we've got to forge ahead to becoming the, the Christian God wants us to be. Look at verse 13. Paul says, Focus our aim. He says, this one thing, the one thing. Child of God, could it be that you and I sometimes fall in that trap that we try to achieve too many goals in life? Especially in our culture. Some of us, and we, you know, if it's not us, maybe we know some people like this. They try to be super mom, super dad, super grandparent, super church worker. And then what happens? Well, then they become super tired, super discouraged, super depressed because they can't do all that they're trying to do. And we wonder, well, why can't I achieve what I want to achieve? Why, why am I like this? Well, it could be that we're trying to do too much. It's good to have goals, but also have realistic goals. Paul says this one thing I do. He didn't say this five things I do, these 10 things I do. No, he says this one thing. Now, that isn't to say here that, that there may have been some numerous things that Paul 
does to achieve the one thing, but his ultimate goal is to do one thing. Now, let's not misunderstand what I'm saying here with what I want to call a to-do list. For example, tomorrow morning, I'll go in my ministry center office and I'll jot down a to-do list of things that I believe God wants me to accomplish tomorrow in order to be the AMS and the Christian that God in Christ wants me to be. This list is going to fall under the umbrella of ultimately growing and becoming the Christian that God wants me to be. And I have to be careful because it's very easy to have too many goals as an AMS and as a Christian and as a husband and as a father. It's very easy to fall into that trap. Maybe some of us have fallen into that trap of, of trying to keep up with others and having too many goals. And when we don't reach them, we get frustrated, we get discouraged. If we haven't learned it yet, maybe this statement will help us. You and I cannot run 100 miles an hour, maintain that lifestyle. I don't care how many energy drinks or espressos we consume, it's not going to happen. We have to be realistic. Paul says this one thing. For example, I've, I've got some buddies of mine, middle-aged buddies, and we're, we're encouraging one another to, to lose weight. We've committed, you know, that we're going to try to lose weight together, encouraging one another, supporting one another. Now, we have to be realistic because we can't lose 10 pounds in, a, in one week and be healthy. I mean, it would be nice. But I'm a Baptist preacher. Go figure that one out. But, and, and churches love to feed ministers. Amen? Okay, maybe not. Anyway, there was a time. No. But we have to be realistic. And I have to tell my guys, I'm going to look, you have to set a realistic goal. If you and I want to achieve the goal that God's given us, laid on our hearts to do and achieve this day, then we have to be realistic and focus on the one thing. Paul says, this one thing. For example, a hunter is going to go out during hunting season, and he, he's going to get up at the crack of dawn, and there's going to be a beautiful mist that's covering the ground there, and he goes to his location, and he looks out in the field, and there are 20 nice, magnificent deer, and they're all in the line about 20 feet apart. And he's thinking, I can get them all with one single shot. No, he can't. Ideally, yeah, that would be great. But the wise hunter is going to take his rifle, his scope, and he's going to focus on the first deer because he realizes he has one shot, one chance. You and I have one chance in this earthly life, one shot. That's all God gives us. We live. We die, and then comes the judgment, says the word of God. There's no reincarnation. There, there is no coming back. We have one chance. One chance in this life to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? And focus on that as Paul did. Now, in order to do that, some of us have, like Paul teaches here, we got to forget the past. Paul had to forget the past and all the atrocities that he committed against God's people. He left all those behind. He forgot, that's what he says, forget the past. And that's what you and I need to do. Forget those past successes and failures. Now, why do I say successes? How is it that successes can become an obstacle or a hindrance 
in growing as the Christian that God wants us to be. Because sometimes, especially in the life of a church, we feel that we've grown all we need to grow. We've arrived. And we know that because we say things like this. Get somebody else. I've done my time. I just want to come in here and sit and worship. We feel that we've arrived. No. We never stop growing as a Christian. We never stop being rich toward God. Jesus talks about this ideology, about that feeling of of being satisfied in your relationship with God, and he gives this warning in the following parable, Luke chapter 12. Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and I'll store all the grains and goods. And I will say, So you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He felt that he'd arrived. Once he built these barns, he could just kind of take it easy. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. Now who will own what you've prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. The foolish man felt that he'd arrived. He'd achieved and he'd arrived. Love, you and I never arrive in our relationship with God. As a Christian, we see a disciple means learner. We always want to learn as much as about God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as we can possibly do. We've got to. We've got to continually want to do that, as Paul showed us here. But Paul also said we have to forget the past. Sometimes, if not successes, then failures can hinder our growing to be the Christian that God wants us to be. I mean, make no mistake about it. One of the biggest hindrances of achieving a goal that God wants us to achieve is that the past. Let me ask you a question, beloved. Is your ability on yourself or is it on the Savior? Now, what do I mean by that? In Luke chapter 5, Jesus tells another story. He, he is with the disciples. He's finished preaching, and he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Now I can imagine that they're there on Peter's boat, and he says this, and maybe Jesus just gives him a look. So then Peter says, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, Their nets began to break, and they signaled for their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats, and they began to sink. And as they're sinking, here's what happens. When Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now go back up to what Simon Peter said. Master, we worked hard all night. What if... Simon Peter had let that failure be a hindrance to what Christ wanted him to do next. What if, beloved, you allow that past failure to become a hindrance to what God wants you to do next in your life? I mean, should God call you this morning to do something, to step out on faith as he did with Simon and the others here, would we? 
Maybe we've been burned. Maybe we've been hurt and, and we're thinking, I, I, don't want, I don't want to fail again. For example, maybe you know, uh, one of our goals is we wanted to have a happy home life, but the relationship didn't go like we thought it would. We got burnt once. And now our hearts are hurting, and we have this wall that we've put up around our hearts, and we vowed it, and we swore we're never, ever going to let anybody get that close to us again. Okay? What about God? Are we going to let God get that close? Are we going to drop the wall and say, God, I completely surrender to you? Are we going to keep it up and say, no, God, I don't want to step out on faith. I don't want to try again. I'm afraid to get hurt. Or maybe our issue is, is self-esteem. Maybe that, that's a failure for us. Self-esteem, self-identity, if you please, because of past life experiences. Maybe, for example, we got crushed early on. Maybe we followed a sibling in school. That sibling was the model student. Model sibling, if you please, went through school, made all A's, was very popular, great in sports, achieved great things. We could never measure up. We follow that person in school. The teacher would identify with us and say, oh, yeah, I had your older brother or sister in school. Great student, smart, very smart, led the class. I'm sure you'll do just as well because you're cut of the same cloth. And we know the answer, no. We probably mumble under our breath, they got the brains, we got the looks. Maybe. But you understand where I'm going with this. And the cause we could never measure up after trying and trying and trying and failing and failing, we resigned ourselves, I'm not going to be able to measure up. I'm going to be a C student all my life. I'm going to be average. Whenever I'm around, I'm just going to be average. No. Because your identity is not what you've achieved. Your identity is who you are as a child of the Most High God through Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Make no mistake about it. That is who you are. And this morning, if you're feeling low or defeated because of past failures, I want to encourage you to pray this morning and give it over to God. Because the Bible says that if we commit ourselves, and that is the self-image, commit it to God, trust in him, says the psalmist, and he will do it. Let that be your prayer this morning, because that includes your, your past, your self-image, your self-esteem. See, beloved, understand something here. God does not think poorly of you. You don't need to think poorly of you. And don't listen to your critics. Listen to the Christ. And this process of understanding how we matter to God, it happens when we deepen our walk with God. We start by faith. Then we start in, in small group Bible study. Because the Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's what he teaches us here. To reach the goal to become the Christian that God in Christ wants us to be. Paul says, focus your aim on the one thing. And then forget the past. And then drop the T off for the word forget and forge forward. Verse 14 is what he tells us here. Press on. 
If you and I are to reach the goal that God and Christ has for us this year, then we've got to press on. Press on like he's talking here. He's describing a runner who's straining. And you can imagine, you know, Paul has seen these runners race and he's seen them get red faces or straining ahead to win the race. Their necks are, the veins are bulging in their necks and everything. And they're doing the best they can to forge ahead. And they do that by not giving up. Cliff Young, 61-year-old potato farmer, sheep herder, ran that race in overalls and galoshes and boots, and he, he won it because he did not give up. He forged ahead. I understand that Albert Einstein was four years old before he could speak. He was seven before he could read, but he forged ahead. Isaac Newton was rated a poor elementary school student, but yet we know that he went on to develop the laws of gravity there. He forged ahead. Beethoven had a music teacher once say of him, as a composer, you're hopeless, Beethoven. But Beethoven forged ahead. Thomas Edison had a teacher tell him, you're too stupid to learn anything. But Edison forged ahead and went on to achieve over a 1,000 patents. F.W. Woolworth worked in a dry goods store at the age of 21. His fellow employees wouldn't let him wait on customers because they thought he didn't have any sense. But he forged ahead and he opened up a lot of department stores and business adventures. You might have heard of Walt Disney. He once was a freelance writer. He tried to sell his sketches to a number of newspapers. They all turned him down. In fact, one editor of a Kansas paper said he has no talent. <laughs> wonder what he's doing now. He forged, Walt forged ahead. And he kept on doing what he did. And, and he drew some sketches for some church publicity materials. He rented a mouse-infested apartment over a garage. And kept on drawing, hoping that somebody would hire him. And I have an idea that mouse-infested garage, he looked down one day and he decided he'd draw this little mouse. He probably named him Mickey. I don't know. I wasn't there. That was before my time, but I'm, I'm wondering here. Point being, he forged ahead. These people attained their goals because they kept on. They didn't, they didn't give up. And, beloved, I don't want you to give up. I, I don't want you to quit. Next to your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, what's your lifelong goal? What is it that you hope to achieve? I asked you earlier, why are you here? And how determined are you to achieve your goal? How passionate are you to pursue and achieve your goal? Many of you have heard of a guy by the name of Robert Ballard. He was a, a man who had a goal, a passionate goal, if you please. For 13 years, the quest to find the Titanic dominated his life. And finally, in 1985, he found it. And here's what he said. My first direct view of the Titanic lasted less than two minutes. But the stark sight of her immense black hole towering above the ocean floor will remain forever ingrained in my memory. My lifelong dream was to find this great ship, and during the past 13 years, the quest for her has dominated my life. 13 years. Dominated that, that he was passionate about that. That was his goal. What's your goal? What do you, what do you hope to achieve with God's help? If you look at Philippians chapter 3, we see Paul, who is under house arrest, writing from prison. 
chained to a guard. And that didn't stop him. He was writing this letter of joy to a group of people that he dearly loved and loved him. And he's chained to a Roman guard. And I let my mind wonder as I was preparing this, I thought from the Roman soldier's perspective, wonder what he thought of Paul. Especially when Paul got to this passage here which says, and I'm pressing on. You know, and I got to thinking, maybe the Roman guard looked at that phrase because he's right there looking over his shoulder as this man is writing the inspired letter of Philippians. And he said, buddy, you're not pressing on anybody because I got you right here. We're chained together. You get an idea in Paul's ministry. He didn't listen to his critics. He listened to his Lord. Beloved, if you want to be that which God wants you to be, you don't listen to your critics. You listen to the Most High God who loved you, gave His only begotten Son to die on the cross for your sins, and has given you the Holy Spirit who dwells within your heart to guide you in all truth all the days of your life. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning, and that is I want you to refocus on why you're here. I want you to refocus on your relationship with Almighty God. And as you're doing that, pray and ask God, God, what would really happen? How would my life change if I applied these three principles? Focus my aim. Forget my past. Forge ahead. God, how would my life change? How would our relationship change? For some reason, at the age of 61, Cliff Young decided he was going to run in that 500-plus mile race. And he did. And he didn't listen to the critics. He didn't listen to the laughter. He stayed focused. Now, will you stay focused as the Holy Spirit calls upon your heart? Now, to those of you who never surrendered your heart and life to Christ, who have no idea what a relationship with God through Christ means, child, your, your first goal is that before you leave here this morning. Your first goal, your ultimate goal, is to be at peace with God. And you can apply Paul's principles here. That is, you can focus your aim on being that which God wants you to be, and that is saved. Yes, the Bible tells us that all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Focus on your aim and agreeing with God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And then believe what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. I told you earlier, you realize, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Believe that with all your heart. And not just give lip service to God, but show God you mean business. Now, how do you do that? By changing the direction of your life. We call that repentance. Now, what's involved in that? Well, the Bible says, repent, therefore, and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate for repentance. In other words, when you surrender your heart and life to Christ, You focus your aim on becoming the Christian God wants you to be. You turn the direction of your life around. And like Paul says, you forget your past. Yes, the wages of sin is death, that what you have coming to you. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then, as Paul says here, you forge on, but you forge on in faith. 
The Word of God says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. With the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. Non-Christian, your first and most important goal is to make sure that you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And others of you, what goal or goals has God laid on your heart this morning? What is it that you need to focus on? Forget the past. Forge ahead on. What's God leading you to do? You can solidify that this morning. I'm going to have a prayer, and then Andrew's going to come in and lead you in a time of response to give you an opportunity as a worshiper to respond as God's leading, either here at the altar or at your chair, or to, he'll pray with you. Whatever is God doing in you, achieve that goal right now. Let's talk with the Father. Father, we thank you very much for the opportunity that you give us to worship you, to hear your voice through your word, through the time of prayer and worship. We want to leave at peace with you. Whatever that involves, Father, we want to surrender our all to you this morning. That is our goal, is to leave here on the path you have for us. Be with those around us and help them, Father, to find out and identify the goal that you have for their life. And whatever we can do as their brother or sister in Christ to help them, to encourage them, lay that on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, it's been my honor, my opportunity to be before you. Thank you very much for the entrust that you placed on me. Thank you very much, my brother. God bless you all.